Welcome to Learning Minnesota, connecting people one conversation at a time. Today's guest is Keith Eckhoff, instructional coach and QComp coordinator for Detroit Lakes Public Schools. Our conversation theme today is student engagement. Keith, you know what? Let's talk. But before we do, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me today. Uh, I was born and raised in Alexandria. Um, I remember having, um, being in third grade, having my first male teacher ever. And I remember thinking, I want to be like him someday. I want, that's what I want to do. And um, I went to college at Concordia College in Moorhead and got, uh, met my wife there. Uh, we've been married since 2007. We have four boys, a fifth grader, second grader, kindergartner, and a preschooler. Um, and I graduated college and got my first teaching job in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, teaching third grade. And I taught third grade for 11 years. And in 2017, I accepted the job in Detroit Lakes School District still as QComp coordinator and instructional coach. And so I've been here ever since. Very cool. Thank you. Um, so, and now for those of you who are listening and or watching, this is the second start of the recording. So I was telling you the first time we, with this whole pandemic right now and all of the craze of the, I, I guess we're kind of moving into the winter, but the fall of back to school for this 2021 school year, um, we really didn't get an opportunity to connect more about, you know, who, what our backgrounds are and really to be able to establish that um, connection that allows us to have kind of those open conversations without feeling somewhat guarded. But um, with you sharing that, and then previously too, I really appreciate that you and I have similarities with, um, I taught third grade uh, for eight years. Um, and that to me, those were some of the most fun days of, of my teaching career. But I also then and you said 2017, 2016, I moved into um, an instructional coach position, position for two years, and I currently serve in a supportive role as well. Um, I have half as many kids as you do, but <laughs> we're from similar areas. Um, and so I really am excited to be able to talk with you today about one of the biggest um, topics right now in education, and that is student engagement. So thank you for sharing your story. And for those of you that are watching and listening, um, I am confident that there are going to be some of the key pieces that Keith and I share with our um, supporting teachers that we've found that are kind of, um, they're making some headway right now in a world where there are so many uncertainties. So, um, so as we move in then to the first part of the conversation, I think, you know, student engagement is, is, it's huge. And as much as it was essential um, when we were in person um, teaching and learning right now with the transition from in-person to hybrid to distance learning right now, it's not only essential, it's crucial that we engage with students. And even maybe I'll, I'll go as far as to say beyond that with families too during sure. this time to establish those partnerships. So to maybe lay the foundation first, what are key pieces, now I'm coming from a school district or a school, I should say, where we're full distance learning and 
when a classroom teacher is having hosting maybe some small groups, some guided reading pieces, you know, we can we can suggest student videos stay on. And that's also a piece that some might argue is, um, you know, not prom promoting um, equity in terms of understanding some students maybe just don't feel comfortable having their videos on. But mm -hmm. how would a teacher, what are some key signs or some things that one might be able to identify that says, yes, they're engaged or yes, that person is engaged? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Well, I think, first of all, what I've learned in this position, um, we have about 250 teachers in our school district, and I work with all of them. Um, we typically get about 98% participation in our QCOM program, and one of the um, one of the pieces of our QCOM program is an, a student engagement goal. And so, so I'm working with on average, 98% of our teachers, ranging from pre-K all the way through high school and everything in between. And so I get to see a wide variety, which is one of the things I absolutely love about this position. I greatly miss the classroom and the third grade students and those connections and relationships, but I'm learning a lot. I'm challenged, so I, I've enjoyed this. But one thing I've really noticed is, is I could ask all 250 teachers, what, is it, what does engagement look like to you? What does it mean to you? What, what do, what's your definition of student engagement? And it means so many different things. And so the wide variety of the angles that teachers take on engagement is fascinating. And we have to remember that. And we have to remember that the students also have their own definition. So one key that I found that teachers, and I've learned this through teachers, is we need to have the conversations with students what student engagement looks like. What are my expectations? Because you get a high school student going to seven different teachers a day and their expectations on what student engagement looks like might be different in every classroom. And what that student feels he or she is doing, think I'm, I'm engaged right now, um, might be different from all those teachers. And so one teacher had an aha moment, which led me to an aha moment of, they had to take some time and teach what their expectations were on student engagement. And it was, it was, uh, it was a 180 for that teacher and the students. And I thought that was a great takeaway. And it's, that's being proactive. I listened to uh, Dr. Clay Cook yesterday from the University of Minnesota. And he said that one minute, to be, taking one minute to be proactive saves you five minutes on the back end of it. And, and that would be one example of wanting that, Taking the time, teaching student engagement, um, and the expectations would be important for, for each teacher. Um, the other th thing about student engagement is we might think we know, um, we might think the students are engaged, but we don't always know. And that's why data is really important in collecting data on student engagement. And if I were to say the best way to find out if students are engaged is to ask them ask them, give them a survey, give them a quick exit ticket. Um, I've included a couple forms in our document that you're, you'd be welcome to, um, to look at. And they're certainly not mine. I'm an educator. I don't, I don't create many things. I steal them. So the, um, but, but one is, is asking the students, um, how engaged were you during the lesson and what could have made the, the lesson more engaging and just ask them 
And it's fascinating what they will tell you, especially when that relationship's built and they're comfortable sharing, um, you know, no names, just, I, I, I want this for feedback. Um, you can all, there's all, one of the forms is also a, it's a one through seven scale, one being not engaged at all, seven being totally engaged and the middle being compliant, which I think compliancy often gets confused with engagement. But what's nice about that is, is again, you can ask them and how teachers use that form sometimes is they'll take that form and they'll, they'll, they might set a timer every five minutes and they'll have, the students will have it at their desk. And so when they hear the ding every five minutes, the student knows to, okay, where am I at in my engagement right now on a one through seven scale? And that's pretty telling because I worked with one teacher who had them really engaged for the first 15 minutes and lost them it was it was a definite trend it was odd the data showed I'm, I'm losing them well what that teacher found out through that data by asking the students was i'm talking too much there's too much teacher talk i need to get them talking i need to get them participating earlier i can't stand up in front of them and talk so much so that we had to find a way to remain effective in the in the presentation but make it a little more concise. Um, and it was awesome. It was, it was great to see the teacher discover that and the, and the students, um, by allowing the students to give their voice, um, a change was, was made and it, and it really helped. And it, that was awesome. It, again, coming from asking the students. Um, that's harder to do for primary, but we can simplify it. Um, one of the forms is for, for primary and it's just, it's a smiley face. Frowny face, medium face, smiley face, um, and maybe and you can ask them that way, whether or not they liked it. The other way to, to measure engagement, we have to remember that engagement, the purpose of engagement is to increase learning. That's all. So a lot of teachers will ask me, like, how am I supposed to measure this? What should I do? Or they want to try a new way of, of measuring. And and oftentimes it's in it's in their work. Are the students meeting your learning target? Are they where you want them to be? Because ultimately we don't want them to be engaged just having fun without learning. So look at look at the um, the outcomes and if those are where you want them to be, chances are they're engaged. And that's really the most important pieces are, are the students to learning. So those are a few things that, um, that I've learned um, through this process on, on measuring engagement. There are, it was kind of funny, from the very beginning of this piece um, where you were sharing, I had so many ahas and connections and like everything along the way. I, it brought me to my master's work where we had to collect data, you know, to determine it. And my, um, my focus was does in allowing independent reading increase or improve um, student um, scores and achievement. And so I created this observation form, but it was all about engagement and I had to define what that looked like. But mm -hmm. in your words, you need to include, you need to bring in the voice of the students. And yes, for primary kiddos, it might be a little bit more difficult, but um, that really speaks to for example, if somebody is, if I'm, if I am engaged, I might not be 
saying anything or doing anything other than having full eye contact because I'm just soaking it all in. Whereas if another person is engaged, they're going to exhibit a different, um, you know, behavior or, or show a different um, state. So I, I like that you said there really isn't one specific list of indicators that tell and an, uh, an educator, the student is engaged if check this box, check this box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also, like I said, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many things and I've probably forgot a good number of them because then you kept saying more profound things and I just kept drawing more <laughs> into the conversation. Um, <clears throat> so another thing that, that, um, really was a connection for me was you talked about, um, surveying, and asking them and collecting that data. And I think sometimes, I, I'm just going to say this, I think sometimes educators are nervous about what they're going to discover mm -hmm. in doing that. And so to maybe take that potential fear, anxiety, whatever it is that you think could happen, but twist it in a way that you understand that that data that's like you are a scientist and you are examining it. So there's nothing personal mm -hmm. about it. It is your way or your ability to identify what's hitting the mark and what's not. It has nothing to do with you as a person, sort of, well, sort of a thing. Yeah. You want to jump in? Well, and I think it's important. I, I would encourage a teacher to do it. Just jump, mm -hmm. jump in dive in, do it. Because as you do that more, you'll realize this isn't, this isn't personal. And you take, you take that feedback better. Um, I almost feel like it's like many of the teachers felt when we started the instructional coaching program in our school, like, wait, you're coming into my classroom and you're, you're videotaping me. I don't know if I'm liking this. I don't know if this is, this is comfortable for me. And it's gotten, easier every year as you see you know what that's not too bad and it, when you reflect on it that was really helpful that was that was worth it um but we have to be we have to be gentle with ourselves too i had this conversation yesterday is 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 now a good time to um because our school district is changing models we've shifted the, the elementary school that my student my own children are in started face to face we had a spike amongst teachers, so we had to go distance learning. Now we're back to hybrid, so we're doing all the shifting. And with that, needs are changing with families. And so I had this conversation yesterday. It's now a good time to ask families what they need because what they needed two weeks ago when we started hybrid is now their needs are different now because we've, we've gotten over those things and everything. And we're going back and forth with the idea because I don't know if we want to give the survey because – surveys are a chance you know that parents might might say some pretty harsh things right now sadly and and we don't the last thing we want is to have the teachers feel more defeated because a lot of them do right now they're working harder than ever and they don't feel like they're connecting as well and stuff so you do you know you have to be careful with that um but i would the student feedback um i would say this more teachers are pleasantly surprised with that than, than the other way. And so I, I would just encourage a teacher to try it and give yourself grace. And, and I think that I think they'll appreciate that student feedback. And anytime that you're asking a student for their opinions and their voice is heard, you're making steps that way too. 
Yes, um, that resonated with me as well. Uh, the school that I'm at, it was, we've been distance learning the entire time. So there's been some sort of a normalcy, if you can say that, you know, it's it's been somewhat consistent. Um, and a survey was sent, but is now the time? And yes, there has been some consistency, but I still think that this has been such a tremendous change for everyone that we're not quite out of the um, the grief process of, you know, like this can't be happening or it, we need to go back to normal, that sort of a thing. So I feel like it's been such a deep hole that's been dug that maybe we need to give it a little bit more time before we ask people what they need. Because right mm -hmm. now they still, many of them still think they need, we just need to go back to the way it was, yeah. you know, sort of a thing. Um, and so we had, we, we did, the, a survey for families, but I think it's it's extra profound when you ask that you you um, posed a question saying um, how can engagement or how can we improve the um, the engagement of the lesson? Mm -hmm. That is, I would be so interested to see the answers that come from students. And yes, some of them don't know what they need, you know, mm -hmm. and and they just don't know what they don't know. But there might be some who say you know, can you, for me, I'm thinking again, the distance learning model, can you um, turn your microphone, you know, or, I mean, they could be easy, simple things that we're completely missing, yeah. um, all the way up to, I would like more choice. And as you talked about, the product, or what students are creating or showing, that's also an indicator of student engagement. Absolutely. Um, so for those of you that are listening um, or watching, the resource sheet will be uh, will accompany um, the recordings of this. And as Keith had mentioned, there will be links to different versions of um, those data collection pieces for student engagement, right? The, um, the ones that you had, had talked about. I also really like to, one of the things as an SEL coordinator, um, we're, we're I'm trying to promote doing temperature checks, mood meter, mind measure, like the beginning of student contact, checking in and really getting them to recognize I'm not just good, but really thinking about how they are in that moment. Um, and so using visuals for our primary kids, and I'm using the same thing, the emoji faces, like really think about how you are. And that is so easily transferable into okay now think of this same kind of scale in how engaged are you so now let's you know drop thinking about our own feelings and emotions now let's talk about how excited how engaged how interested were you in this lesson right. mm -hmm. um and then another like i said there's so many things another coming back to me that you were mentioning is the the um check in every so many minutes yeah. And, you know, and seeing what that looks like, because I do think and I, I, I firmly believe in the limiting of the direct instruction or the talking portion mm -hmm. and then plugging in some sort of interaction or movement, you know, kind of like chunking it up. Um, and so I, I was speaking with yesterday, our, social, our school social worker, and that's actually what she is recommending for teachers, for students to um, if they're concerned about a certain behavior or something is that set a timer and you yourself. So you don't, as an edu educator, if you're a little concerned about an instructional coach or having somebody record or whatnot, mm -hmm. maybe start planting the seed by 
doing some of these things yourself independently mm -hmm. and then broadening to welcome somebody else in who can act as kind of that fishbowl person who just simply observes and collects data for you and helps you sift through it. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that first like key piece, just kind of dip your toe in the water, get to, get to be comfortable with that. Um, and like you said, it's those then who jump and dive in that are pleasantly surprised with mm -hmm. not only what the outcome is of a survey, but how, um, how they can adapt and modify according to. Yeah. So I'm going to take a moment. <clears throat> this would be for those of you listening and or watching a great opportunity for you to pause, process and reflect. You can access the resource sheet and maybe take some time to look through the links and think about how might this this might be something that you will be able to integrate into your teaching practice. Welcome back. And so we're talking with Keith Eckhoff, um, instructional coach and QCOMP coordinator for uh, Detroit Lakes Public Schools on the theme of student engagement. Um, and so the previous segment, we talked about really what does student engagement mean and what's needed to be able to identify whether students are engaged. And I think one of the big pieces that we really hit hard on is student ownership, um, being able to invite students um, to the table to be able to give their insight, their ideas and thoughts as well, um, to be able to actively then in, begin to think about ways that you can um, plan for and, and execute different uh, pieces that help with student engagement. And so when we now are moving into thinking about how to plan for a lesson that maybe helps to increase the potential for student engagement. What, um, what would you say with that? I know we talked about student voice as in, are you engaged and, and um, doing some observations, some recordings, welcoming other people to help collect that data. So now we're moving forward with that data. What are some pieces that you would say when we're making our plans? Well, um... I would say if you're making plans, how can I make the students more engaged? How can I get them um, more involved in the process of learning? Um, we know we won't, don't want the students to be bored, right? John Hattie's uh, effect size, boredom is a negative 0.47. So that's, I mean, they're losing a year um, with boredom. So that we're, we're trying to avoid that. Um, and a lot of times when I'm working with teachers, they're, they're not necessarily saying the whole class, I, I can't get the whole class. It's, it's these few students. What can I do to get these two students more engaged? I'm really struggling with them. And when I've done planning um, to try with the, um, working with the teacher for planning, a lot of times it's not, it's not anything new, but we go back to the relationships. And what can you do to improve that relationship with the students? So it's not necessarily the planning of the lesson. It's, it's the improving of the relationship. And probably one of the most simple strategies, but powerful, is the 2 by 10 strategy. And that is, uh, for those of you that don't know, you, you meet with a student for two minutes a day for 10 consecutive days and have a conversation with him or her. Nothing related to school, completely personal 
questions, whatever, wherever the student takes it, but not school related and see what happens after 10 days. And if you miss a day, you got to start over. It's got to be 10 consecutive school days. Um, the outcomes of that is, is beyond fascinating. I, I almost didn't believe it. I'm like, is this really going to work? Cause I've, I read about this strategy and there was data to show and we have had more teachers do that. And, and it works. It's, it's incredible how it works. So I, you know, I would, I would emphasize the relationship first. Um, and we know that we know that relationships are huge and they're the, they're the foundation of teaching, but sometimes that gets lost in engagement. Um, another one that I just, I just got from the distance learning playbook and it's kind of a gl glorified two by 10. And, and this link is, is also on, on the document that I shared, but, um, and you could tweak this to however you want, but on the left, you would have, um, what you want to do, like your, your, your target, um, accomplishment. Maybe that's not the best word. Um, let me look at it. it says interaction the interaction that you want and then you'd have the student maybe it's just one student or the, the three students that you're working on or whatever and you're tracking how often did i do these things the examples on the the interactions is did i greet the student by name when he or she entered the classroom virtual or, or otherwise how many times did i use his or her name did i ask him a critical thinking question did i ask him a personal question did I pay them a compliment? How many times did I provide them with praise for their learning performance? Or have that be whatever you want, whatever you think that student needs. Because it's that's I, we have a lot of teachers using this form right away um, to start this year. And it's amazing how, how long you could perhaps go without saying a student's name, without, you know, the, the compliance student that isn't as involved in classroom discussion um, that's there does his or her work and comes in comes out could get could get uh, looked over easily so I just think this form is again real simple um, but a way to track it have I done these things um, so that would be that would be one thing um, I really like the one too did I greet the student by name um, that was a, a goal I had of mine. I remember doing it when I was student teaching, actually, is and I'm really bad with names. So this was one of the reasons that started the goal. But I would greet each student as they entered the door um, by name. And I would do the same thing exiting. I thought at least I'm saying the child's name twice every day, minimum, um, by doing that way. And who knows how many of these students are being told good morning. Uh, maybe that's the first time. So I, I think when planning, um, Plan the relationship first, and then worry about the teaching second. Right. Um, so the two by ten. I have a question for you on yeah. that. You. That's something that our school also um, had in place last year. However, the way that you talked about it, um, it is. Is it the student that is in the homeroom of that particular teacher? So, for example, if I'm a third grade teacher, it's the you know, and I'm. I'm picking out one student who maybe I'm, I'm noticing might need that. Um, and so I'm picking that, that, that student and I'm committing to 10 consecutive days mm -hmm. to be able to check in with them on nothing school related for yep. the two minutes. So okay. at my, in my school last year, what it was is that student 
would be kind of designated a, a different adult. So it wasn't the classroom teacher. And in talking actually yesterday with the um, our school social worker, she said, we need to bring back the two by 10, even if it's distance learning. And to me, I'm thinking, wow, I like, we should absolutely mm -hmm. like this is a this is an incredible time to be able to do that. And it doesn't change. I don't think it's going to change the outcome. You know, like you said, you'll be just blown away by by the change that you'll notice or that you'll mm -hmm. see. And I think that's maybe more what kids need right now, even is just that the, the check in one of the survey results um, from our families was the it was highly evident that they needed more uh, teacher to student or peer to peer interaction time. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, that's one of those pieces that it's not difficult to do. Um, and like you said, in if you if you do that, that has such a magnitude of an impact that it really seems like it's a no brainer. Sort right. of and we're, everybody's battling the same struggle with time. And so a strategy that takes two minutes is a good strategy. It's, it's proven to be effective and it's two minutes. And we, if it matters enough to us, um, we can find two minutes in our days, I believe. Yeah. And I would go even further to say, not only if it matters to us, but if it doesn't seem like you believe in it, um, understanding that that is, that's actually an anchor movement to make that will have the outcome that you don't even anticipate if you do it with integrity. So it's not just like a, a yeah. you know, two minutes sort of a thing. So you right. need to, you need to put your, your heart and soul into it, but it, it, um, it definitely, the outcome is worth, you know, it's the return Absolutely. of investment. Absolutely. Um, and and I'll, I'll say this, it might be more than two minutes, which is a great sign. If that's, if that two minutes turns into five or maybe even 10 by the end of this, you know, you know, it's been a success. So yeah, be prepared for that. That'd be a great problem to have. Right. <laughs> um, and so then you also referenced the distance learning playbook with which I think there are like it should be in the hands of every stakeholder in education. It's yeah. not a difficult read and it is just bursting with different ideas. And um, you referenced that particular piece where you uh, you collect your own your, your own data on yourself um, for how many times did you do such and such. So I would add in for me, our school um, is we have a lot of students who are Somali or Somali American. Um, sure. And so names become very difficult. And I'm not only hard to I, I, I can't remember names, but now it's it's hard to remember the pronunciation. So doing something if you have students who you're finding that, it you know, they, it might be difficult for you to learn those names um, to honor and maybe have them do a recording pronouncing their name or maybe doing a recording with their name and and connecting it with something that's specific to them. So now we're starting to make those connections, not only with honoring the pronunciation and that their name means something, um, but being able to then start building, like you said, those relationships. So when you said 
in third grade, you practiced, um, you know, making sure that you welcome your students in the morning saying their name and you made sure that you said their name um, at the end of the day as well as they were leaving. So two names. Um, how, I suppose that would be something that's easy, easily to, easy to replicate in a distance learning model as well. You just, you know, when they hop on to the, the Zoom or Google Meets or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But um, like there were other pieces in that form that would require somebody to be conscious in two different levels. One is your instruction, your teaching, um, and that right there, making split second decisions keeps you from being able to be on the outside and saying, okay, you just said their name, you know, this. So would you recommend again, the recording piece and then going back and watching and tallying that? Or like, what do you think for, I don't even know if, um, the authors had a way to do that. I mean, it's a data collection piece, but it's hard to collect that data when you are in the middle of, of instruction, which takes mm -hmm. all of your conscious energy. You know, one thing that uh, going uh, yesterday, I watched Dr. Clay Cook from the University of Minnesota. He had a, a really good um, segment and he talked about, you know, if we're talking about equity, equity is what kids need. It's not doesn't mean equal. So maybe for something like this, if you're in that situation where like right now, my students, my own children are in hybrid. So there's not as many people, students on the on the virtual end. So that might be a little easier to manage. But when you're in if you have a large class and you're at 30 plus, how are you how are you tracking that? You probably can't. But maybe you don't need to. You know which students um, are going to be interactive during the day, you know which students are coming from good, strong, supportive households that probably don't need that greeting as much as somebody else does. So you know which students. So maybe that's where you focus on, like this form has three students. It can be any, any number. It just so happens to have three. So maybe you have three students that you want to make sure you greet or say something, um, use their name and pay them a compliment. I know from watching my children, I have a just a great benefit from being on the parent perspective of this too with a kin kindergartner, second grader, fifth grader. And I know um, like when my son's kindergartner teacher says his name and greets him and says, oh, you, I, I see you got a haircut last night. He's into it. Otherwise, it's so easy to hide behind a screen. And so another one, if you have a small enough group, is to um, that first comment is really the hardest. If you're in, it's really easy to hide in like a Google Meet, even more so than a classroom. That first comment, that first unmuting yourself to say something is the hardest. So if you have an icebreaker type of thing or get them to say something first, um, a lot of times that'll, that'll help engage. And I can think of that too. Meetings that I'm in, if there's a lot of people, it's really easy not, you know, not to hit that unmute button and sit there. But if I, if I've done it once, it just kind of breaks the ice for me. So that's, that's something that I've um, seen that that's been effective. I've encouraged, I work with our PLC leaders in our district. I've encouraged that as well. Like have something that every every member comments on mm -hmm. right away because our meetings are all virtual now trying to keep the spread down mm -hmm. so um that's a challenge that we're having is is it doesn't seem as interactive and stuff and i know i've gotten some feedback but that's been really helpful get, to get that that first comment out 
Um, so this is a little bit of a bird walk, but I want to pick your brain on something. Um, I mentioned to you that it was evident that the peer-to-peer -peer interaction was uh, a much needed piece in the school that I'm at, um, which was met with some comments from teachers saying, well, I, I have an open um, meeting virtual, whether it's Google Meets or Zoom, or I let them go into breakouts and hang out, but then I'll bop in and nobody will have said anything. Mm -hmm. Like the student is like, uh, you know, kind of like, I don't know what to say or what to do. And so um, having a prompt, having something, maybe yeah. starting it. Do you have any or experiences or ideas of things that you've seen that worked? Well, Google Meet just they were a little behind zoom in the breakout sessions and things they just got it going and so we're we're all learning in this but i do know the the early and we're primarily google meets in our in our district um some teachers are using zoom and, and have had the breakout rooms but i know the the ones that use google meets that are trying it said the exact same thing that you just said is is you you have to be very clear with the instructions so they have their prompt, they know what they're doing. Maybe even know who's speaking first or, or the order or you can't have clear enough directions before they go into their breakout rooms. Otherwise, they're not sure what to do. It's, they, they end up, um, they're like seventh graders at a school dance. They don't know what to do. They look, <laughs> they look at each other and act weird. So... They, so that's that would be really important. Are those directions, having the question posed, um, and the directions, and go. And it it's probably has to start start short the breakout rooms and then come back, um, and build that build that process and stamina for that. What are your thoughts on um, when we're talking, maybe not necessarily instructional time, but allowing peers or allowing the students to kind of hang out in a virtual yeah. manner? Um, you know, I, I, in my experience, so my, I have a seventh grader and it, it, it's as soon as that freedom to talk is given, everybody either sits there or signs out and it's like you know it, it's yeah. it becomes somewhat awkward where if they're in person you can't get them to, to be quiet <laughs> or, or to separate yeah. so um like you said the school dance sort of a thing so um i mean that's something that everybody that i know that teachers are grappling with where i am that it's okay they've they've presented students with this but it's not they're giving the families and students what they're asking for the peer to peer the opportunity but it's nothing is happening from that um, well i know i know we've had some concerns about um, students relogging into to the meet without any teachers and we've had you know kids using bad language i actually um, happened to be home for my second grade sons um, did that. They they re-logged into their morning meeting. This was at what, the lunchtime, which I was home for. And he's like, dad, so-and-so's brother's showing the middle finger back there. So I just, I got on and <laughs> redirected a little bit, but um, that's a concern. Yeah. However, I I still think we encourage, I think we have to do that. Like, I agree. That's not, I didn't like my second grade son seeing that, but he's seen it at recess in bathrooms and who knows where, like, it's just, it is 
part of it. And it's we can't control this when they're in person. And as a matter of fact, it's actually easier to control virtually because we have the we can go back to that. These things are all accessible. So if if there was something that was um, you know to the point of we need to investigate this, our tech team can pull this up and find out who did what. Uh, we don't have that privilege of what happens in the bathrooms. <laughs> so I think we got that's part of the learning. I mean, I had a good conversation with my son after that. Hey, you handled it well. You didn't you didn't give him um, the attention he was looking for. You reached out to somebody that could help and the problem was solved. So um, that's just kind of a life experience thing. And I think the kids need the interactions. Um, they're not seeing their friends and they need their times with their peers. So I actually last spring we I'd set Google Meets up with my he was fourth grade at that time uh, with his buddies just they were they would like have lego lego challenges over google meets and it was really healthy for them so um so i think it's something we have to encourage and maybe that's going to be what it takes to help those breakout room conversations that to occur more um and, and make progress i agree when i you know when i first heard that i thought okay so how do we how do we push kids to become comfortable um, on these when they have the freedom to just interact with their peers. Uh, but then you touched on a point where there are there are kids who are going into these virtual rooms when they're unsupervised, they'll find a way. They're, they're, they're so intelligent. And what they're seeking is they're seeking connection, whether you know it, it's a positive mm -hmm. or a negative thing. And so I agree. I think then you just continue to give that opportunity. And eventually you're gonna get over, I can't call it the honeymoon period because it sounds like a good thing, but you're gonna get over that silence of, I'm not sure what to say. And everybody just like, once that wall is broken down, it's mm -hmm. gonna be hard to actually control how many people come on yeah. just to be able to chat and connect with each other. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, so thank you. I, I um, I'm right there with you on that same, on the same page that we just, we need to we need to trust kids and yeah. we know that they're going to make mistakes or every once in a while there's going to be some things where we need to intervene or or try to redirect and guide but by not doing that and trying to restrict or to you know have consequences for something that they've done because they need that interaction we're not helping them especially at this time when they need it most mm -hmm. um Okay, so for those of you listening and or watching, this is a second opportunity, great um, time for you to be able to pause and process and reflect on what we've talked about in terms of um, maybe not necessarily plans, but the relationship piece. We talked about two by tens, and that could be an idea of something that you can really start applying as early as tomorrow. Um, we talked and referenced the... Um, distance learning playbook. There's a couple of key pieces that you can try in there. And then we just really talked about different ways that you can not only build relationships, but allow students to begin sharing more of who they are, whether it's peer to peer or inviting them to be able to share peer to um, teacher and classroom. Welcome back to our discussion with Keith Eckhoff um, on student engagement. So the first se segment that we talked about um, really focused on signs of a student engagement, but how to collect information, data, um, and how to include students on that so you are able to plan 
um, what your next steps would be. Our second segment really talked about how to um, not only cultivate relationships, because I think that's something that we hear again and again, but it really drilled down into some easy, um, easy to apply takeout or strategies that you can use um, in order to do that and to be able to further tailor. So in our final segment, um, we've got uh, several bullets and things that we haven't touched on, but I'm going to just take this opportunity to, um, to just maybe we'll just visit on what are some other things that we are excited to share or some ideas that we think are yet another thing that you can put in your back pocket to use. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Keith. Oh, sure. Um, I've been working with, um, as, as I mentioned in, in the earlier segment, um, part of our QCOM program is student engagement. And so um, a lot of teachers have been reaching out on what are some things I can do for to increase student engagement with this hybrid or distance learning? It, it looks and feels so much different. What are some, where, where are some directions I could go? Um, and that's where I've, I've encouraged, okay, can you find a way to use the, the two by 10 distance learning or that, um, the tally sheet from the distance learning playbook? Um, some other things that teachers are trying, um, and I'm really excited about is a change in assessment, right? Cause they're, they're at, if they're at home, how are we assessing these kids and, and trying to get away from some of the, the old traditional assessments anyways, as better practice, this is a great time. And it's almost forcing some of us to, to try new things. And so I'm really excited about some of the creation assessments that are happening. And, um, and I think this directly relates to, to engagement. I, I did not like taking tests. I still don't. Um, and I don't know if that's the feedback that teachers need is, is you know, what students scored on multiple choice. Um, I don't know if that's really a way to show, for students to show what they know as well anyways. And it's, and it's difficult, but um, teachers are trying that, you know, through videos, um, podcasts or music. Um, we're just trying to get resources in the hands of students to allow them to show what they know in a way that's meaningful to the students, not to us as teachers, but to, but to them. And that's where I think we're really allowing the opportunity for the students to, to shine. And I think we'll, we'll have a better understanding of where our students are at. Um, and so I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, I don't know yet. I have we haven't the results aren't coming in. I haven't seen the final product because it's so fresh. Um, but I'm really excited to see where that where that goes. And it's led to some great discussion on in PLCs on grading rubrics and how um, how to utilize those and how to. Um, we listened to Myron Dweck this fall. Um, he had a great session on, on the rubrics and it's something that I've heard many times, but it didn't really resonate with me until this fall was um, how important the rubrics are for the students. I used to think, oh, I need this rubric so I can be clear. Um, the students need them to have better direction and clear understanding of what our expectations are. And it's just like, I knew that, but for some reason I didn't, it didn't really, sit with me. I, I just, I kept coming at it from my teacher lens. Um, and so that, that was, 
that was really um, important for me to reflect on a little bit. Um, another I'm gonna, thing, oh, go ahead. I'm gonna just jump in real quick because you hit on one of my like serious passions personalized learning, um, you know, really comes from, stems from this where you think about assessment and what it looks like. And so I am so very excited right now. There's a personalized learning coordinator at our school and she and I meet on a weekly basis and to help support teachers in both SEL and personalized learning, we've offered to pick up a unit, one unit per grade level and totally transform it into um, a full, like it's fully personal for students. But first, before we build it, that's the first thing that we do is we create the what the assessment is and we've used rubrics every time. But to identify really um, what might be, you know, an indicator of mastery and progressing very similar to um, what the standards are, we look at the standards. So we might have the curriculum, the unit right in front of us, and we have the vocabulary and what the essential questions are there. But as much as we we focus on that, we allow that to take maybe a little bit of a back burner. And we look at the standards that they are addressing. And that's how we build our assessments and our rubrics. And then the assessments is there, they end up being the rubric and then the choice. Do you want to build a model? Do you want to create a video? Do you want yeah. to construct, you know, do you want to? And so we've done that now, third grade, um, which they still have the light and sound or standards where you learn the different uh, reflect, reflect, refract, and absorb. And yeah. then we're also working with um, sixth grade right now on simple machines. And so they'll be able to actively choose the student will be able to choose what it is that they want to do to show their learning based on the rubric that was created so i love that you said that student choice is so big i mean that's you know my kid wouldn't eat green beans last night with his dinner but if i said you want green beans or broccoli he'd oh i'll have seconds (laughs) of beans. it's just the choice is so powerful and it's same it's same for us same thing working with teachers is, is teacher autonomy and we have to give them their choice. And so their, their voice is heard, um, is huge. And you did, and you did mention, you know, that maybe thinking about how to create those rubrics, it is time consuming, but this is one of those things where maybe not like the two by 10, where it's easy to implement but it is the anchor. If Mm -hmm. you do something like this, there is no doubt in my mind that the learning and engagement are going to happen or increase um, as opposed to if you were just to continue with what you either had been doing in your past um, teaching years or if you're a new teacher, what the teaching manual says you're supposed to do. Right. Right. Um, Another thing that's got me really excited too that a lot of teachers are trying is um different form because of the the look with distance learning and hybrid and everything is is how feedback is more crucial now than probably ever before and um in being um so the effect size of feedback is is 0.66 so we know it's it's important but um specific timely feedback i don't know what hattie's research exactly did like feedback is i feel like specific and timely feedback is would would make that number even higher um because 
I know one thing that we learned is, is we need to provide feedback to the students. And it's hard, especially teachers that have over 100 kids in a day. And how do I do that? And, and, and certainly, like, giving the click the like on, um, you know, Google Classroom or Seesaw or any of those formats is nice that, okay, I, they saw it and, and everything, but um, specific feedback, not, you know, hey, great job, Steph. Okay, that's something that's good, but what was great about it? Right. Um, and so teachers are trying to be more deliberate on that. Um, voice recording that so they hear the teacher's voice and they hear the feedback, the audio feedback, um, and and then giving it specific to what what they liked about it, um, and that will help with engagement, and that will help with with learning. So that's that's something that's exciting too. I mean, and again, that goal is a great goal for regular face to face, um, and certainly this time right now. And um, I love uh, that you touched on too, that it could be a, an audio recording um, because, you know, distance learning is definitely something that is challenging, but with the advancement and all of just the plethora of technology tools that are available at our fingertips, we can give feedback in a way that we can record our voice and we can mm -hmm. convey, you know, sometimes if you do a feedback via text, it's hard to really truly think about, you know, how, what are they meaning when they, when they typed this. Yeah. Um, so the audio feedback has been something that I have been really excited to hear that that's a yeah. great idea. The misinterpretation of, of text and emails is, you know, like all of a sudden, how many exclamation points you have changes the meaning depending on who you are, you know, yeah. three exclamation points might mean you're mad at me, but I thought, oh, she's really happy. She and she, all caps. Am I yelling? So there's there's a lot of confusion that can happen with that. Um, so so that's important. Um, I um, some teachers in previous years were trying to flip classroom, mm -hmm. and I know that's been something that okay, maybe maybe this is the time. I think the distance learning playbook. Um, touched on that too and the importance of of when you have students like that's the time what do they have um i'm going to read this to get it right the time we are in front of students in live sessions should be prioritized for connection discussion and interaction so they're giving their teaching ahead of time yeah. and then that's their time and as a parent i love that because the teaching um if my student's struggling my child is struggling, um, you know, and then if the, but the teacher's gone and not accessible at that, especially now with, with hybrid, because they are still responsible for the kids. I mean, these teachers are in such a tough spot. I'm just amazed yeah. at how amazing they're doing. Um, but anyways, that's been a real, um, it's been very successful for teachers um, that have uh, been trying that early on. So that's, that's exciting. Jigsaw is a strategy um, that can work. And that's one where you can get the students in those smaller groups um, for interaction um, and you have your expert and peer-to-peer peer -peer learning. Um, 
has been really um, powerful too. So a lot of great things happening. Teachers are working so hard. I've never been more proud to call myself a teacher. I really, I really mean that. I'm just, I'm just floored at, at what's, what's changed in the last six months and, and what we're able to do. I mean, I know we, we gotta, we gotta drown out the, the, five percent that are negative about the whole thing because i don't think they're negative towards teachers and schools i think they're negative towards the situation as a whole and it's one thing to kind of complain about because i see so many great things happening Mm -hmm. it's um i agree it's i've been incredibly honored to be able to see and be a part of the adaptability Mm -hmm. that comes with just being in education i mean we were I don't want to say we were prepped for this, but we really can rise to the occasion because we were prepped for this. Yeah. There's always things we're always, you know, trying to do new and improved and learn and grow and then be able to model that for those we serve. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the time that is now definitely it's it's definitely taxing, that's for sure. And I think our voices need to be heard by that five percent or anybody else who thinks that this is very simple. However, we have been prepped to be able to pivot um, you know, and still be able to connect with kids because that's that's yeah. the underlying the I path. think the word in the book grit a lot. Yes. The teachers have uh, displayed so much grit. In, in what they've done, I've I've seen more teachers cry in the last six months than I have yeah. in my 15 years, but they just keep working harder. We have, you know, we're the Detroit Lakes Lakers, um, and so we have um, the phrase of we can't we can't control the winds, but we can adjust our sails, and I think it kind of fits right with our theme. And it's uh, that's a quote that I have in my space at my school. I, I oh, have, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's crazy. It, yeah, fits it fits our mask yes. quite well. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so uh, this has been just nothing short of magnificent. Thank you for joining me and talking about what it means, what student engagement means, what it what um what we can do about it especially in a time um, where things are constantly shifting and changing and how we can maybe even take advantage of some of the the pieces that we know um, are necessary for students to be able to connect and grow. If anybody is um, interested in reaching out to you, Keith, if they've listened and they thought, I really would love to pick your brain about the two by 10, or I really want to pick your brain about the form that you shared and, and referenced, um, how might somebody be able to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me would probably be through email. Okay. Um, and that is at the top of the resource sheet. Okay. So, yep, that'll be listed on there. So if, if anybody's listening, it'd be my first initial last name. So it's K-E-K-H-O-F-F. It's E-C-K-H-O-F-F at debtlakes.k12.mn.us. Perfect. Thanks so much. All right. And thanks to all of you for taking the time to join our Learning Minnesota discussion with Keith Eckhoff on the topic of student engagement. Don't forget to visit our site, www.learningminnesota.com, for additional resources on this particular topic and more videos in our resource library. 